The Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging presents The Art of Aging, information and tips on how to experience life more abundantly as we age. Our hosts are John King and Reverend Beth Long Higgins, Executive Director of the Ruth Frost Parker Center in Marion, Ohio, an initiative of the United Church Homes. Beth, today we're going to meet Rachel Goot, who's the Deputy Executive Director of the Dayton Metro Library. You know, I've always been aware of how valuable a resource a public library is, but I had no idea what incredible services they offer to us as we age. I agree, John. Dayton has gone a long way to meet the needs of their older patrons. I am sure all libraries do not offer these resources, but it certainly motivates me to find out more about my local library's efforts to serve our aging population. Let's meet Rachel. Rachel, what percentage of your clientele is over 50? If we're looking at demographically who's coming to use the library, I would say it's a wide range. According to our last survey, we have a number of users who are definitely in, in the over 50 age range. We had 35% were men over 50 and 25% were women over 50. So yeah, we're seeing probably more folks who are in the, the over 50 age range, but we still have users of all ages. Are there ways to use the library without walking in the door? A lot of people use our website. A lot of people use eBooks. We have a number of products that they can use digitally and, and like never walk in the, the library. We've got Canopy, which is a streaming service for movies and music. We've got Libby and Overdrive, which is a streaming service for books. So you can get ebooks through that. You can get audiobooks through that piece. I believe Canopy and Hoopla is another product that we have. Hoopla definitely has music. It has the audiobooks and it has some movies. It also has some e-magazines that people can borrow. So we have a number of different products that people, again, you can just at home from your phone, from your computer, you can use the library without ever walking in the door. And we definitely have more and more and more people who are doing that all the time. But we have a lot of things that, that can also be used at the library. Is Hoopla the one that does movies? Canopy is the one that does movies. Hoopla does some. Uh, yeah, Canopy is primarily the movie piece that we have. And then Hoopla is the one that does the range of things. It does movies, it does music, it does some movies and TV shows, uh, the magazines, and some audiobooks. Are there other online resources? The other piece that I think we have on our website that people don't always know about is a lot of our databases. You need an encyclopedia, you can you know go right there and get it. You need auto repair, you can go and get that. What was traditionally years ago, oh, these huge either sets of books or just huge books are now almost all electronic resources. And many of those electronic resources, though not all, we're able to buy licensure so that they can be used by our patrons at home. If people are interested in getting on Hoopla or Canopy, do you offer support? We have a lot of people who need help getting on those various databases and offerings that we have. And we do provide, if anybody who wants to come in, we can sit down with them, we'll book time. It doesn't matter how much time as far as we're concerned. Typically, we probably book for between 20 minutes and an hour um, for someone. If that's not enough time, uh, we can, you know, book later sessions. And we do have classes that we frequently schedule. So if there are frequently asked topics, right, I'd like to learn more about Microsoft 
you know, whatever. I would just like to learn how to use a computer. I don't even know how to use a mouse. Where do I start with that? We have classes that range from basic to almost expert. I think at last count we had about 35 organized computer classes that we offered. And people can sign up for those or, again, they can kind of book a staff member and say, I'd like a one-on-one instruction and can you, you know, spare me 30 minutes and we can sit down and, and go through this. So we do. We do that. And we we do that with a number of different things. If we have a parent or grandparent who's interested in, I want to find some books for my grandchild before they come and visit. I want to know more about my personal genealogy or history. Can you just help me find some information on France? I I don't know, whatever. We'll do that for really anything. So anything people want information on, we, we can we can always book time to, to spend with them and help them find those pieces. How current are the movies that are offered on Hoopla and Canopy? Some of the older things are on older technology, too. So, for example, I borrowed North by Northwest this morning, which, of course, is an old Cary Grant movie, and that's on a DVD. That was available in that format, and that's the way that I got it. But some of those same things may be available on Canopy. I, I frankly... I haven't looked at their list of movies, but a lot of those are newer things, too, that are available on Canopy. Does the library have a way of loaning people streaming services like Netflix? In just about a week, we're going to start loaning Roku's to people. So those Roku's have a lot of the streaming services that you're talking about. You know, patrons would be able to borrow one of those Roku's at a time. You know, they range from Netflix to Disney Plus to to whatever, and they'd be loanable for, I believe it's for 21 days that they go out. So you can get Netflix for free? You can borrow the Roku, right, right. So it's not free. Of course, the library is paying for that subscription. But the goal of that is for people who don't have access to some of those other pieces, this would give them that access. How do you support people who are losing their sight or who may not be able to hear as well in accessing your services? We do have a large type actual physical book collection. Unfortunately, a lot of those, a lot of publishers are no longer printing some of the newer things in large type. So one of the ways that we're helping people with that, again, is to go to the eBooks. Because on an eBook reader, on a phone, on a tablet, you can make that font as large as you need it to be. Some people find it's easier to read if it's white on black instead of black on white. And so we can help people like figure out how to change that so that it's easier for them to read. So what if you don't have a tablet or an iPad? One of the reasons I mentioned, you know, we have iPads to loan to our homebound, it's actually called Home Delivery now, our home delivery patrons and uh, Lobby Stop patrons. One of the reasons we selected iPads as opposed to some of the other options that are out there is because they have the most adaptability and most accessibility options for people. So we had some patrons that experienced blindness. And so you can set the iPad up in a way that will read to you what's on the screen and and, and tell you where the different icons are so that you can utilize it without needing to see it. And that's really the only one that I know of at this point that um, provides that kind of accessibility for, for patrons. One of the challenges is they are designed to be purchased by the individual. And so it, it doesn't always uh, work as well to share with other people. But since we loan them typically for 21 to 42 days, it does allow the individual to set it up for themselves in that time or, or for us to help them set it up. So is that only applicable to the things being loaned by the library? Or can they read the newspaper using that? So anything that they could access through the, the iPad, yes. The iPad provides that same accessibility to that. 
Right. So newspaper databases are one of the things that we have. They could tap into that and use it in that way. Or if they're looking up, a, you know, a Google, I don't know, let's let's say they, they like to look at the, the news through Google or there's some other website or something that's not a library website. It's a it's another website. Yes, the iPad would still translate that into speech and provide it in that manner. So when you borrow an iPad, is there training or is it self-instruction? Typically, we provide a training for those folks who, who want or need it. That program well, that program started probably about 12 years ago or, or 13 years ago now. And when we loan the iPad out, we have two different programs that we loan it through. One is our home delivery. And if it's loaned through home delivery, we set up a, a time for a staff member to come to that person's house and not only deliver the iPad, but sit down and do the, the, the training pieces with them. You know, for some people, it's not a single session, and that's okay. You know, sometimes it's a, let's start with this piece, and you practice this piece, and when you have this mastered, it's time to move on to the next step. And that's typically what we do with our lobby stop uh, clients. We have um, folks who live in a, a senior community, some sort of assisted living, senior apartment complex, something of that sort. And typically, that's where our lobby stop goes. We roll carts inside and let people have more of a, a traditional library experience picking out their own items. But we also loan iPads through that program. And we'll set up a training class for several people at the senior apartment complex or uh, assisted living. And those are typically more of a series of classes. So we'll start, you know, this this is class one, and we, we usually bring more than one person because people need individualized, they, they just need individual attention when they're learning things like that. So that, that was a fascinating learning experience. Sometimes you think, yep, got this, ready to go. And then you get out there and you're like, oh, we're going to need three people to do this. But I do feel like that it's gone very well. And our um, outreach services department acts as the troubleshooting help desk for those. So when we have patrons who I, I can't figure out how to turn it on, I've, I don't know what's going on with it. It won't do what I, I think they can call outreach and outreach will, will walk them through it and talk them through it. And if they can't figure it out over the phone, They'll go out and, you know, and, and, and set up a time to visit and, and, and make it work for them. So they're pretty full service. Well, how many iPads do you have? We have 80. And how much are they used? Oh, they're almost constantly used. So, yeah, we frequently have times when not only are they all checked out, but we have people on the waiting list. So, uh, you know, our, our hope with the program is, of course, you know, for a lot of people, it'd be nice to just have your own, right? And I think our hope with the program is that many people will get one, learn how to use it, um, figure out what they want to do with it, and then either be able to save up for their own or um, potentially have family that, that decide that that's, you know, something they want to um, gift, you know, mom, dad, aunt, uncle, you know, what whatnot. But, you know, we have for some people that that's, that's not really an option and they, you know, they, they borrow it for as long as they can, then they put themselves back on the waiting list and and get it back as soon as, you know, somebody else has, has relinquished theirs. Let's talk about participating in the library in terms of volunteering or tapping people's expertise. Yeah, we have a very robust volunteer program. We had something much more minimal before I started in this position about seven years ago. And I advocated for and we've hired a volunteer services manager. And she really has taken uh, our volunteer program to a completely new level. We have a number of programs that are solely volunteer run and led, things like reading buddies, where we have folks who come in and they just read to kids or have better still have the kids read to them so that there's learning in both pieces they're both hearing it and the actually trying to read a piece we also have something called talk tables which are for people whose 
first language is not English. So uh, they have the opportunity to come in and just sit down with a native English speaker and just have a conversation. It's not formal ESL, it's not anything of that sort, but it's an opportunity to practice their English language skills. So we have a number of volunteers who volunteer for that as well. We have folks who act as greeters at our um, at our branch locations and, and sometimes at Maine too. Just somebody to say hi when, when they come in the door. It's, it's not the Walmart checking to make sure you didn't steal anything. It's It really is, you know, welcome to the library. Let me see if I can help you with the self-checkout or um, help you return materials in our new AMH units or tell you where something is in the library, connect you with a librarian if that's what you need. Um, it's that sort of role. So those are, are three things that are all primarily volunteer roles. We also have volunteers who help with homework help. That's a piece that you know we're, we're kind of transitioning. We've used AmeriCorps quite a bit for that. Now we've, we're at a place we've actually hired, only just a week ago, hired a homework help manager um, to take that program over. So I'm really excited about where that's going. I think that's going to really take off now that we're, now that we have somebody who's, who's really in charge of it. But volunteers are going to be a critical piece of that. People who just, you know, want to help kids with their homework. It's not, it's not formal tutoring. It's, um, let, let me help you with, with where you are. So it's, you know, then you don't have to be a former teacher. You want to help kids? You know, that's a place that you can do it. We have our Friends of the Library group is all volunteer run as well. And uh, that group does a number of things. Their primary goal is to raise money for the library. And typically they raise money for critical but somewhat smaller things. So, well, let's go back to the iPad program. We got a large grant to buy all the iPads, but then of course you always go, oh, but one of the things we needed was a recharger and configurator for those iPads. So we needed something to plug them into so that they recharge, but also reset them between patrons so that I'm not, you know, if I'm loaning you an iPad, I don't want the previous person's information available to you, right? So we have to wipe those and make sure that they're electronically clean, if you will, in between. So that configurator does that for us. And that was a piece that we went, oh, but we didn't budget any grant money for that. So where are we going to get it? Talk to the friends of the library. The friends of the library provided those configurators for that program. So that's the type of thing that they typically do. We have a, a council that meets you know, regularly, and they also do book sales and they do some other projects to raise money. So that's another um, volunteer opportunity. We also do take and make kits for children and teens, and those kits have to be put together. So one of the things we often have volunteers do is put those kits together. That's another opportunity. You know, it's one of those things where, if you're, especially if you're volunteering with a friend, that's one where you can chat with the friend while you're putting the boxes together, right? So it, that can be a little bit more of a social opportunity. Do volunteers tend to be older people? I would say older adults are our most steady and constant volunteers. We had one gentleman, he was wonderful. I think he stuck with us for like three, I mean, it's two, two full days a week for about three years. He moved to California, unfortunately, so he's not volunteering with us anymore. But he was very proud of the fact that every year he had the most volunteer hours in the system. And he would always want to know who was, who was second. You know, how many, how many did the second, you know, place have? We have a couple of people who I think longevity-wise, they've been here the longest. They work on historical obituaries. So one of the things that our special collections, the genealogy department does, is they make sure that they've got special obituaries, right? So they have people who literally go through the paper for them and pick out those obituaries and have them preserved. And the funny part is, since it's historical obituaries, those volunteers get called hobbits, <laughs> 
I, I personally find funny. And we have at least a couple of ladies, one who's retired from the library, who's been doing that for a number of years too. So we d- definitely have a lot of older adults who volunteer for us, and many of them get involved in something they really like and stay for a long time. But it's kind of a mixed bag. What are you doing when you're doing a historical obituary? Because we have people who want to know the genealogy of their family, obituaries are often a, a piece of that. So we have these folks who go through the newspaper for us and preserve those obituaries. I understand you did a project funded by the Del Mar Healthcare Initiative Fund of the Dayton Foundation, which also supports this podcast to preserve memories of older people for an audio archive. So it it was really dual purpose. We worked with another not-for-profit, and the name of it was called Rebuilding Together Dayton. Their function was to help older adults who needed some sort of construction or support in their home, putting in rails in their shower, making sure they had a stair chair, you know, those kinds of things that would help older adults remain in their homes and keep their homes safe. Our piece of it was that we wanted to record some of these older adults' stories. So their piece was to connect us with, you know, these older adults that they were helping, and then we would bring in the recorders and record some of their their stories, their stories from their youth. We want to preserve that cultural heritage that we have. If we don't record some of those things, we start losing those those older voices as time goes on. So that was the project, and WISO helped us purchase the recording kits. They helped us with the editing piece. They did a tremendous job uh, with that part. And and what our staff did was was and, and volunteers actually went in um, and sat down with folks, and they had they had a list of questions. Again, WISO helped us so much figuring out what does that those interviews look like how do we make that happen um and then then again sat, staff sat down and and asked them questions and and got their stories and those stories were uh, we recorded both the full story and then uh why so also edited those stories down to something that could be played on the radio um, and so we actually have both pieces um preserved in our date and remembers which is on the website so if, if, you know, if you want to hear some of those stories, they really are fascinating. Thank you, Rachel. I had no idea how extensive library services can be for the elder population. It's always fun to talk about the library and all the exciting things that we're doing. I think Dayton is somewhat unique in that we do have an older adult librarian and that this is a population that we very much want to make sure that we're serving. It's a growing population. A, it's not going away. And B, I think as we've seen, people are living longer because we have better health services, better living conditions. And so we we need to make sure we're continuing to serve this very important group of folks. This podcast was funded in part by the Dayton Foundation Del Mar Encore Fellows Initiative and the Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging, a program of United Church Homes. Audio production and interviews were conducted by Del Mar Fellow Eric Johnson.